Hello, welcome to another season of Life After Advertising. I'm your host, Janice Tan. This series features iconic individuals in the advertising and marketing space who shifted gears and took on a different career path. The first season featured industry players including Linda Locke, Matthew Godfrey, Anne Ridwan, and Jeffrey Sia. This season, we will hear from another group of individuals who have carved out a niche for themselves after stepping away from the advertising and marketing industry. Today's episode features Lynette Ang, the former CMO of Sentosa. After four years with the company, Lynette decided to take a break and eventually found herself diving head in to pursue her passion for aromatherapy by setting up the Scent Apothecary. She tells us what pushed her to start up her own business, what it was like marketing a tourist destination during the pandemic, and the memorable moments of her marketing career with various renowned brands. Hi, Lynette. Thank you so much for joining us today on Life After Advertising. Why don't you tell us a bit more about what you're doing right now? Hi, Janice. Thanks very much for having me on this uh, podcast. Um, I must tell you, it's my first one. So um, I'll just try to tell you everything that I can. And I hope that <laughs> it will be interesting for the listeners. Okay. Sure. Um, okay. So what I'm doing right now, maybe I just uh, cycle back a little bit because that question might come out later. I cycle back a little bit as to why I left corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for me, it is really about uh, you know, the right time. La. There's never a right time, right? But I've counted uh, the years that I've been in corporate and it has been 28 long years. Mm. Uh, so um, that kind of prompted me to kind of take a step back and say, you know, uh, do I want to continue on without taking a break? And throughout the 28 years, I've never really taken a break. Uh, the longest break I took was a three month in between two jobs. Um, but that three months was because my son was doing his PSLE. Mm. Uh, so I was a PSLE mom. So not quite a break. Um, but this time around, I felt that uh, at this point in time, um, it was it is good to take a break. And 28 years is a long time. And I suppose I've always been in uh, marketing, advertising, a- apart from my first job, which was consulting for two years, right? Um, but after that, it was really uh, advertising, marketing, um, brand, PR. Uh, and, and later on, I did more sales and guest experience. Um, and as you know, right, in a corporate world, as you progress, uh, your responsibilities get heavier and heavier. And a lot of times um, in the marketing circles, and I think people who are in this circle and, and listening to this will will um, resonate with me when I say that, you know, for us, it's there's never a downtime. When you're on a job, it is just uh, high key all the time, right? So whether it's uh, launching a campaign, uh, preparing for the next campaign, um, you know, doing presentations, managing stakeholders, managing board members, uh, managing, you know, uh, various types of uh, communications. Um, it really is high key all the time. Uh, so that kind of prompted me to say, hey, you know, uh, why not take a break and try something different or, or just uh, take a break, right? And then see what comes along and see what kind of tickles your fancy and then uh, do that. So when I decided to take a break, um, I actually left uh, Sentosa uh, officially on the 31st of December 2020. Um, but because I had so much leave to clear, I kind of stopped working end of November. Uh, and the story behind that was uh, I knew I was going to stop work, right? And, and Christmas was coming up. So I decided that, hey, why not uh, I resurrect uh, my my joy of making candles? I, I started making candles a couple of years ago, but that was more for fun and for gift, for gifting. 
so when I was, you know, I was planning for December last year, what to do, I said, hey, Christmas is coming out. I, why not I just try to make some candles, put them on carousel, see what's the uptake, uh, you know, talk to family and friends and see if they want. And surprise, surprise, uh, the, the, the demand was quite good. So as I started to make the candles, I also then decided, hey, why not I learn a little bit more about fragrances and aromatherapy? So I went to Udemy and downloaded courses on Udemy. Um, and I and throughout the course, it was very, very useful. And it also taught me how to make body care products. So I said, okay, you know, why not? I also make body care products and kind of use my family as guinea pigs in that sense. And I gave them for <laughs> Christmas gift, you know, uh, and they enjoyed it. They said, hey, you know, this is um, quite good for them, you know. So whether it is the body butters or the body balms or the body cleansers and all, uh, they felt that it was, uh, it, it worked for them. Um, when I did this and the products that came out, I kind of modeled them after this brand called ASOP. I'm not sure if you know, mm, yes. but, um, but I call it affordable ASOP, you know, because ASOP isn't exactly the, you know, the, the cheapest thing. Um, so I thought that, you know, this has a market um, and it is, uh, and because it's home-based business, I don't have a lot of overheads and rentals and, and employees to worry about, uh, at least for now. Um, I can make it a, a lot more affordable. Therefore, that kind of started this whole thing. So one thing led to another life. I want to sell it, then why not do it properly? So I started a Shopify store. Um, and then after that, a friend of mine uh, who runs her own uh, company, um, I, I happened to meet her for lunch and I gave her some candles just as a gift to try, right? And then she turned around and she tells me, hey, you know, that was before Chinese New Year. She said, hey, you know, during Chinese New Year, I always, you know, go to work with a, a, a disadvantaged home and bake cookies and then I give it to my clients. But this year I can't do it because of COVID. So maybe you can help me make pineapple tart candles and mandarin orange candles and I package them together and I give them to my uh, clients. So, so I said, okay, <laughs> you know, so that is the start of my corporate, you know, corporate gifting business mm. in that sense. Then after that, the thing that got me was her, her secretary called me and said, hey, can you just build to my company? Then I'm like, oh, I don't have a company to build to your company. Um, and then, like I said, one thing led to another, I decided to start a proper company. So I got registered at Accra. Uh, my company's name is called Artistic Sense Private Limited. Uh, my website is thesentapothecary.com. Uh, so now I'm full-fledged. I have a company. I've got an e-store. I'm having a lot of fun with it, although it is hard work still. Uh, and I joke with uh, many of my um, friends. Uh, I said I went from a CMO to an OMO. <laughs> <laughs> really one-man operation, okay? <laughs> I like how you put it that way. And I think, you know, setting up a business in the midst of a pandemic is also pretty daring. Were you afraid of the challenges? Um, very honestly, I didn't plan to set up a business when I left corporate. Mm -hmm. I really left corporate to kind of take a break, you know, and to kind of um, just uh, kind of focus a bit more on self-care, you know, uh, wanting to exercise more, wanting to spend more time reading and all. Um, but one thing led to another and then this business came up, right? Um, but I suppose the... Okay, talking about the pandemic a little bit, uh, um, I know that it is... Um, Unfortunately, if you want to call it right, it is a curse for many, um, but I also see it as a blessing for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and and I'm 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 very blessed to say that uh, because of this pandemic, uh, I got to reconnect with a lot of people um, in my previous jobs and all friends whom whom we normally had problems trying to fix appointments because during normal years uh, all of us would be traveling in our work, right? Mm -hmm. So it was so hard to get people together. But because last year we were all grounded, I. I kind of reconnected with so many different people. 
and and very frankly, they have been so supportive of me starting this, right? Uh, you know, whether as uh, you know, people who encourage me, people who buy from me, you know, people who want to recommend me, um, you know, to their acquaintances, to their circles, to their friends. Um, so so in that sense, I took courage from that, and mm-hmm. I said, hey, you know. Um, Let's just go with it. And I have a, I have a very good uh, friend from JC whom I also reconnected with. Uh, and I shared with her that I was uh, kind of planning to leave before I left us. And the advice she gave me was two things. She said, Lynette, if you want to leave your corporate world uh, and you want to con- and find fulfillment, she says, Deep, you know, um, let serendipity do its work. You know, let serendipity do its work. So, you know, just go with the flow, right? And and join the dots and, and stuff like that. So that's actually the best piece of advice I've heard. And the second piece of advice she said was, don't stay at home and just watch your Netflix K-dramas because I told her I love Netflix K-dramas. She said, go out, meet people, talk to people, right? Um, and you never know what comes up. And very frankly, throughout this whole venture, uh, these are the things that actually happen, right? I just went out, met people. And then, like I said, my friend said, can I order from you? And then I became a corporate gifting, you know, uh, corporate, you know, a corporate gifting business was born in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, it's it's not scary, scary. Uh, it does take some um, courage, uh, but I, I'm glad to say that my circle of friends, uh, family, uh, loved ones have all been very supportive, Um yeah, so so that's where I am. What were the transferable skills you gained during your career across multiple renowned brands? Besides like project management and also planning, what else did you think really helped you? I think from a uh, brand and marketing um, portion uh, or, or that whole, whole part of my life, um, a lot of it is based on insight. Uh, so, so my undergraduate degree was uh, business admin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember a course very clearly on around um, consumer insights and consumer motivation. So that's why they taught us psychology 101, right? About motivations and, and you know, um, and I think many of the great um, marketing campaigns uh, that are successful, uh, that has helped business achieve its objective, right? It's really based on solid insights, about what people are looking for, what people, what motivates people. Uh, and I think I always go back to that as a fundamental. So even when I run my own business now, right? Of course, sometimes, you know, when I do something quickly, I still, you know, hit and miss sometimes, lah, not perfect. Um, but when I know what is the insight or the motivation that I'm going to hook people on in that sense, um, that oftentimes that becomes uh, a successful campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always go back really to fundamentals. You know, what is the insight? What is the motivation? Uh, what are we speaking to people um, uh, for, you know, when, when you when you put out this offer, when you put out this campaign, uh, what problem are you trying to solve for them? So when I did my guest lecture at NTU, one of the first things I started off was, you know, what is the job to be done from a product mm. perspective and a campaign perspective? What is the job to be done that, you know, someone hires your product for? So I think that is, um, I think jobs to be done, I, I think you're familiar, it's uh, Clay Christensen, right? The Harvard professor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, his, it's his theory on, uh, a product market fit. You know, what is the the job that someone hires your product to do? Uh, so so I I think that is a very fundamental uh, a skill or a way to think about uh, across, and that's transferable across B2C, B2B, any type of products or services. Uh, so that's, I think, one big one on consumer insights, uh, uh, motivations and stuff like that. Um, and I think the, the second one, again, uh, 
quite logical. Uh, it's really about uh, understanding your competitive uh, scene, right? Uh, so again, very transferable across uh, different businesses, different services, service lines and all. So, so again, when I started my own uh, business, right, the Saint Apothecary, mm-hmm. uh, I actually hired my, <laughs> my niece who just finished her O-levels last year, right? She was quite free. So I say, can you go and do a competitive study for me in terms of pricing, pack sizes and what promises are made in this body care um, uh, scene in Singapore. Uh, so she produced, you know, uh, I don't know, a 10, 15 page document. And of course, for me, I looked at that, took reference from that, and then decided how to price my products, how to position them and all. Uh, so com- competition, understanding the competition and all is also a very key skill that is transferable across. Then, of course, you mentioned things like project management, um, you know, uh, ensuring that you stick to timelines, having the discipline, uh, you know, to, even though nobody is chasing you, you should be chasing yourself because otherwise I feel uh, it's, it's hard to get somewhere, uh, especially if it's your own business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but funnily enough, uh, if it's your own business, you're very motivated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right, because I suppose you can call it passion, you know, or, you know, it, I, I find it quite fun to do it. Um, yeah, so so I think these are the few key skills I can think about lah, that is that has been really helpful uh, through the years. Of course, the other one is uh, managing stakeholders and all, but at this stage of my business, I don't really have much stakeholders to manage in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but later on, if it grows bigger and I decide to you know uh, get funding or board members or whatever, um, that would then come in very, very useful as well. How do you manage stakeholders? What was it like marketing a tourist destination during the pandemic? And um, what were some of the challenges and even fun moments that you experienced? Uh, So (laughs) 2020 was really, I would say, a a once-in-a-lifetime type of year for a destination, right? Uh, Where there was zero tourists. Mm -hmm. Um, So, of course, uh, similar to uh, STB, we focus our attention very much on the locals. Uh, So there were a couple of phases uh, we went through. Um, so I will, I will talk about the marketing part, but there's also a part on the tenant management because I took mm-hmm. over that responsibility. Um, so the marketing part of it was, I, I think one of the critical things we knew we had to do, uh, especially uh, during the lockdown and, and actually slightly before the lockdown and during the lockdown, was the balance between getting people to visit uh, pre the lockdown and then during the lockdown, the objective was how do you keep Sentosa top of mind so much so that when the lockdown is lifted, um, you know, people will then come, mm-hmm. uh, but they come, they will come in a safe manner because there's still so many safe management measures, right? Um, and then, of course, post-lockdown is how do we uh, continue to attract them to uh, to come to the island? Uh, so so during the, the period of um, pre-lockdown to lockdown, uh, a lot of our focus was really top of mind and getting people to uh, kind of keep Sentosa at the back of their minds. And one of the biggest campaigns which we did, uh, or I won't say biggest, actually one of the small campaigns which we did that had major impact was really, I'm not sure if you have heard, but we did Animal Crossing Sentosa. Yes, what that we, was so, so cool and so cute. Yes, so one of the things, and, and of course that was uh, together with our agency BBH, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they came up with this idea and we said, hey, definitely let's do this, right? Because at that point in time, and it also coincided at the point in time where Nintendo Switch launched uh, Animal Crossing and it Mm. was one of the biggest games in the world. Uh, I think that was about a year ago. And today it still has many followers and many players. Um, So we looked at that and we said, okay, what's the insight? Again, we go back to the insight. The insight during lockdown was that people were feeling so cooped up. uh, They just needed to escape and to get away. But they cannot. 
because we're all not allowed to go out, right? Apart mm. from some walks in the park and all. Um, and and as, as at Sentosa, we were not encouraging people to come. We didn't want people to come because, you know, the pandemic was raging. Um, so we said, hey, why don't we give people an escape? Because we know that every, a lot of people are gaming these days because that is the way of escaping, right? You can't go out. You can't even do much. Uh, so many people turn to online content and gaming and stuff like that. And we said, why not we create a Sentosa Island for people to visit virtually? And then uh, the insight there was people are looking for an escape, a getaway. Let's give them one. Mm. So Sentosa Crossing was created. Uh, it was huge. Um, I, I don't have all the stats with me, but it was huge. We had so much PR coverage from many overseas uh, uh, travel um, travel media as well. Um, and, and we even had visitors from overseas like, you know, uh, America and, and, you know, the Western parts and all. Um, and it was funny because uh, the island was open during Singapore time, right? Because we were actually mm-hmm. focusing on Singapore. Um, but, but then we had requests from the US to say, can you open the island during our time so that we can visit as well? And, and we did that. So we got our agency, we paid them more and we said, hey, can you just keep the island open? Because the island wow. has to be administered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure if you play Animal Crossing, but you do need to send out the, the code for people to fly into your island and stuff like that. Uh, so, so we did that as well based on requests. And, and it was very successful because across the world, many people were playing Animal Crossing and people couldn't travel. So uh, they couldn't travel. So when we gave them this virtual escape into uh, Singapore, into Sentosa, uh, many people decided to visit. Uh, so that was a really a, a key highlight during this period of time uh, where marketing was challenging. Um, but like I said, you know, as long as we're creative, where there's a will, there's a way, we will find a way. Um, yeah, so, so, so that was really keeping the awareness going. Then, of course, post-lockdown, it was about getting people back to the island. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of initiatives and efforts on promotions, bundle deals, making sure that, you know, the locals felt that it was good value for money because one of the things that Sentosa we often struggle with is that people felt that we were expensive and that we were tourist destination only, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of efforts uh, together with uh, the island partners, the tenants on the island, uh, to make bundle deals, to make deals that were really um, attractive to the locals. And of course, vacations, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Where else would you do a vacation in Singapore but Sentosa to really feel like a a getaway? Um, So we did quite a lot of the campaigns post-lockdown and and focus on driving that, uh, driving driving, um, Singaporeans onto the island. Mm. Uh, So so that part was uh, challenging, but um, it was fun and interesting. Uh, Like I said, as long as you're creative and you have a will to do it, uh, there's a way to do it. Then I was going to come very quickly to the part on managing the island partners uh, and the tenancies, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, when I first took on, and actually I only took on that January 1 was my, I kind of took over that portfolio. And then after that, in shortly in March, April, everything shut down, right? Mm. Uh, so that was also very challenging because we were managing, helping the tenants um, uh, manage uh, their costs in terms of rentals. Uh, we were really uh, the their voices to the government. I know we're part of the government, but we were the voices to the government representing their difficulties um, and then trying to help them with, you know, um, with their staffing and employment if they had, you know, redundancies, what would we do and, and stuff like that. So that really went beyond uh, my marketing responsibilities. It was really more an exposure to, uh, you know, the, the real business challenges that some of these SMEs were facing and all. So I totally can understand, you know, how, you know, how they struggled with it, given that I'm running my own business now, right? How they struggled with it, uh, fixed costs and stuff like that. Um, so that was, that took up actually a lot of my, my bandwidth uh, during last year. Yeah. I but see. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I, I'm grateful for the opportunity. 
I would like to go back to when you first started out in marketing. What made you pursue this? And have you ever thought about giving up? Um, actually, marketing has always been uh, something that I was intrigued with, even uh, when I was in the university. That's why I kind of decided to take more courses uh, in marketing management. Uh, so in my final year, I took, I think, three or four courses that focus on marketing. And very frankly, I have enjoyed it very much. Um, I've always been on the client side. I've never been with an ad agency, right? Uh, so what I enjoyed very much was really the end-to-end process of thinking through uh, what the business case is, uh, conceptualizing, therefore, what the program should be like or the campaign should be like, working with the agency and bringing out the best in the agency because they are the creative guys. Um, but intuitively, I will know you know, when, when, they are, when, they, when they show me a proposal, right, I will know whether it is right or wrong for the brand because it is my job as a brand manager to know my brand very well, right, and what will work for my brand and what is right for my brand. Um, you know, so I've always enjoyed that process. And of course, the, throughout, throughout the time, then after the campaign comes out, the execution and then the results and then the, the review and then the results, right? Um, so very frankly, I've never thought of giving up marketing. I've always enjoyed it. Um, what I've done in the later part of my career is really, uh, and of course, uh, through, through my bosses as well, uh, thanks to my bosses, they've given me leeways to expand that uh, into sales, you know, the entire channel. So uh, when I left my last corporate job at Sentosa, I was really taking care of um, really almost the commercial chain end-to-end in that sense. Um, and I think uh, uh, the core of it uh, is still my passion in marketing. La. So to answer your question, no, I've never thought of giving up. Um, very frankly, I have been asked previously by several of my bosses whether I want to move more into general management, uh, whether, you know, running a country or, or stuff like that or, you know, a, a, a MD position and all. I've always said no. <laughs> That's mm. the part that I don't quite enjoy. I'm not interested in accounting. I'm not interested in, you know, um, having to manage IT or HR or, you know, <laughs> those sort of things. Uh, yeah, so I've just uh, enjoyed marketing very much. Um, yeah, and, and I suppose the ancillaries to that, like sales, uh, you know, like like uh, guest experience, customer experience, um, all those add towards the brand promise. So it ultimately goes back towards, you know, how, how you build a brand. And these are the ways the brand expresses itself. Yeah. Mm. What were some of the memorable lessons during your career as a marketer that made you feel you were making a difference? Okay, when I think of lessons, uh, I often reflect about what I could have done better. So maybe I start there. Sure. <laughs> um, so in my early career, when I was with Unilever, I was taking care of this brand called Pons. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure, I don't think it's in the market in Singapore these days really, but it's still quite big worldwide, right? Um, and I remember I was an assistant brand manager hired into the role. And my first job, uh, I was told, okay, we need to make Pons younger, appeal to the people who buy cow, you know, cow bure and all mm. during... 1990s, right? Um, and then, but then the HQ was, uh, HQ is in the UK. Uh, they were like, no guys, you have, we're doing a big launch on uh, alpha hydroxy acid products, AHA, which is for uh, anti-aging. Mm-hmm. Uh, global directive, you all have to launch AHA. So, so at that point in time, I was a junior assistant brand manager. So I said, okay, Lord, I have to launch. I launch. Ah. Mm. Um, then, of, of course, I launched Pons, right? Then upon reflection, okay, so after, you know, after a few years, I left, right? And upon reflection, I just realized that, hey, I was trying to make the brand younger. And mm-hmm. I, I should have been launching facial foams and sunblock and things like that, right? But I went to launch 
an anti-aging <laughs> uh, product line, <laughs> which doesn't really gel with making the brand younger. Yeah. You know? uh, so that was a lesson I learned. So I think, uh, you know, and I, I applied that throughout the, the years after that, right? And, and the opportunities I had. Uh, every time I'm asked to do something, I will check against, is that the right thing for the brand? Is that, you know, the, the right thing that we should do as a stepping stone towards where we want to get the brand to? Mm-hmm. If it's not, is there a way we can push back? Or is there a way we can manage it better? So I know that sometimes uh, I've worked for big companies like Unilever, Coca-Cola and all, right? Mm-hmm. I know sometimes global directive you have to do. But is there something we could do to say, okay, we launch AHA in a certain market segment in a certain way. But if I'm trying to make the brand younger, I should also launch the facial foams or the sunblocks or whatever mm-hmm. in another way. You know, so it balances it out and and I meet both the global directive as well as what I want to do for the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so that was a lesson that I never forgot in that sense because I, I really kind of beat myself up a little bit and say, how come you didn't, you know, how come you guys didn't think of this? How come you didn't voice it? And, and, and I wouldn't say fight against it, but at mm-hmm. least, you know, have a point of view on it. Um, so that was, uh, you know, kind of like a lesson I learned, right? Uh, to your question on, I suppose, memorable moments, uh, um, Throughout my career, I love doing things that are uh, that that start from a blank sheet of paper. Mm. So I every time a headhunter or an executive search firm talks to me, right, I say, if it's a maintenance kind of job, forget it. I'm not interested, right? But if you give me a blank sheet of paper and you say something like, hey, rejuvenate this brand, hey, we want to make this brand, you know, a, a recognizable brand again or a sexy brand again or whatever, you know, um, then that would interest me very much. So I think um, if you look at my career in, uh, in, in OCBC when I did fanatic.com, it was a blank sheet of paper. I was uh, employee number two. That was the first dot-com uh, bubble in the year 2000, 1999-2000, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, that bubble burst last. <laughs> uh, but, but at that point in time, OCBC wanted to be one of the first movers to launch an, uh, a wealth management portal. Um, so, of course, they put certain uh, finances behind it. Um, and I was hired to create the, the, the brand itself. So, fanatic.com was the brand. We created it from scratch. Uh, we ran it for a good two years. And, and in a short six to eight months, we had a lot of recognition, um, you know, in, in the banking circles as well as uh, with the consumers. Uh, so, so, that was quite a nice thing, although it couldn't be sustained because the dot-com bubble just burst. And then, I, you know, uh, the investors kind of pulled back. Um, so that was, I felt, uh, one of the highlights, if you ask me, even though it didn't survive, right? Mm. Um, then I think as I move on uh, into NTUC Income, again, that was a, a brand that was a kind of a homegrown brand, but it wasn't seen to be resonating with many people. Uh, so in, I think, 2007, I was uh, I, I joined the company in 2007. Uh, and since then, uh, you know, uh, during my seven years there, we have built it up into a brand that is quite recognizable. And I think today, um, I'm glad to say that, you know, my, uh, you know, whoever took over from me has continued the good job, right? The good work. And, and today, I think it is a brand that is seen to be, you know, um, uh, resonating with the younger people, resonating with the public of, uh, you know, with, with its target audience, lah, with the public of Singapore. Lah. Yeah, so, so, so those are the kind of like the memorable moments, highlights. Uh, again, and I think that goes back to uh, brand building, understanding what the brand stands for. So for NTUC Income, it was really about how as a social enterprise and cooperative, we were made different. Uh, we were made for the people. Um, and that kind of took roots 
for all the future campaigns as well as you know uh, the product launches uh, and and really the management decisions that we took as well. So it wasn't just about profitability and you know market share. Uh, of course, uh, any good business, uh, you know, of course, running any good business, we need to make sure that we're profitable and that market share is decent, right? Um, but a lot of our management discussions also centered around how do we do good and how do we make sure our products inherently do good uh, for people because insurance is not a product that's easy to understand, right? Mm. Um, so we did things like plain English. Uh, we wanted to really tell people, you must understand what you're buying, you know, don't just buy because your agent tells you to buy because there are a lot of hidden charges and hidden terms and conditions. So we launched campaigns like no asterisks, you know, no asterisks, no terms and conditions type of campaign. Um, really trying to kind of like uh, right the wrongs in the industry in that sense, yeah. Mm. What is one thing you miss most about marketing right now, looking back? Uh, I suppose the thing I miss most is really um, uh, the process of um, the process of working with the agencies to you know uh, for an idea. So, for example, like like the brief, and then mm-hmm. after that, that it becomes uh, you know an idea, and then it becomes executed. Uh, so right now, because I'm I'm one man operation, right? OMO, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have an agency to work with. But I think um, sooner or later, I probably you know if I want to scale my business, I will have to do that because I find that process very energizing. Um, because I always believe that my role as a client is to be very sharp and very clear about what I'm trying to achieve for the brand. Um, my role is not to be the creative guys because the, the ad agencies are the ones who are the creative guys. The media agencies are the ones who will, who will be the best experts to tell me how to place out, right? Uh, how to reach people. Um, so my role as a client is really, you know, uh, what I want to do for the brand, uh, what sort of um, uh, objectives, what sort of outcomes I want for the brand. Uh, and then when I feed that in, feed that into a good brief, uh, the agency normally comes up with uh, really nice ideas. And then I start to see how that uh, takes shape. And then you know, the whole cycle is completed when the objectives are met. So then I go back to, oh, okay, these are the outcomes I want. This campaign has helped me deliver these outcomes. So you know, check, check, check. It has worked. So I think that whole process is something that I think working by myself right now, I miss. Um, mm. But I think over time, um, you know, I, I look forward to working with good agencies again, you know, to do that. Mm, okay. So what are your hopes for your company moving forward? I really hope, okay, so it's not about, it's not scale for scale sake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I really hope that um, these good products and this, uh, the, the powerful uh, benefits of aromatherapy are going to be accessible to more and more people, right? Because um, of course, the ingredients are not cheap, right? Um, but but um, what I'm hoping is that uh, because these are very beneficial products, as I study more and more into this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, these ingredients are actually natural, beneficial if they are used correctly um, and they are done properly. Uh, and I hope that it can be more and more accessible to people. It's not just you know uh, belonging to a certain group of people just because it's slightly is is more expensive and stuff like that. Um, so that's my hope because I do think that these natural products are beneficial to many people, uh, to all people in fact. But of course, we always know that you know there's an affordability factor and all. Uh, so for me, I just hope that even if I aim to scale, um, I hope that I'm able to you know bring these products to make it more affordable, accessible uh, to more people. That's all. You're doing like everything on your own right now, right? As you said, OMO. So was yes. there one thing you wished you paid a bit more attention to, I guess, when you were in the corporate world as a CMO or like a skill you wish you picked up on? 
I wish I had more time to get into more details. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it, I suppose because of bandwidth issues, right? I just never had the time to get into a lot of the details of especially um, the workings of uh, social uh, social media as well as uh, digital, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, digital investments. I left a lot of that to, of course, my very capable team and to the agencies. Um, but now that I'm doing it, I kind of wish like, uh, yeah, if I had asked more of these questions, uh, it would help me, lah. You know, mm. um, but I suppose at that point in time, uh, okay, lah. I always think that the organization pays people to do different things, right? Mm-hmm. And they didn't kind of. Um, I'm not kind of paid to do that bit. You know, I'm paid to really look at strategy and overall and drive that. And I and within the team, there are different specialists who are paid to do that, and and mm-hmm. they should be the experts in it. Um, so in that sense, uh, yeah, I, I I just I wish I had more time and more bandwidth to do that. Uh, that would have been very helpful to my business now. It's amazing, uh, the how how this has worked out. Right, there are so many apps that help me produce content. You know, so easily I can produce a. a a decent piece of content in like 15 minutes because there are so many apps that give you templates, music, you know, mm-hmm. uh, different ways to produce content. So I've been using those and I'm really grateful for those because those are not expensive and they're subscription-based, right? You pay a, a year subscription and, and you can produce as many you, as you want. Uh, so those are helpful, but like what you say, I think if it's going to scale, I would need uh, a, a more proper way of doing it rather than, you know, when I got time, I do <laughs> sort mm. of thing. So, yeah. my billion-dollar question to you, Lynette, will you ever return to marketing and why? Okay, I, I think these are things I cannot cannot say never, right? Never say never because <laughs> the minute you say never, <laughs> something happens, you know? Um, so, so, I never say never. But for me, uh, very frankly, I am enjoying my time now. So, it would take... Um, it would take almost like a perfect job fit nah, for me to say, okay, I will go back. Right. Mm. Um, so very frankly, uh, you know, uh, when I left, uh, there were a couple of um, opportunities, but I kind of just turned them down and I say, you know, if it's not kind of perfect, you know, I think I do want to continue to take my break and, and do what I'm, you know, I'm happy doing. Um, so so for me, it is, uh, it really depends on what the opportunity is. If the opportunity is uh, exciting um, and, you know, the, the company is the right one, the culture is a great fit, you know, compensation is right. Uh, yeah, maybe I will. I don't know. <laughs> But like I said, it's got to be close to perfect. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Life After Advertising. To stay on top of trends, learn to reskill and upskill your capabilities and grow your professional network, head over to www.marketing-interactive.com. Subscribe to our Telegram channel too at Marketing-Interactive. See you there.